what comes to mind when you hear the word religion? Probably a, a number of things. Some maybe good, some maybe less good. When we uh, often use that term, uh, maybe around here, it's important for us to define our terms because words can mean different things in different contexts and, and different time periods. And even from month to month, the, the meaning of some of these things can change. So often, a religion is focused on what, what I've done, what, what I can do, and maybe, maybe what I have the ability to do or complete in the future. And when I live like that, with that view of, okay, this is all about what I can do and what I might be able to do, every action I take is judged by how do I come off looking in this? What does it do for me? Even when I do things to help other people, I'm often doing them to make myself look good. Hey, you know, I served a meal here. I, I cut my neighbor's lawn here. I helped out at a garage sale for a friend this weekend. All these sorts of things, right? The motivation so often comes from my desire to be a better person or to appear as a better person, to be seen as valued, important, or meaningful, to be uh, important to others around me, or maybe to find myself in God's good books, whatever that might look like. Now, when we use the, re the word religion, we can also sort of use it as the word worldview, the things that we base our life on. So it doesn't just mean, when we talk about our worldviews, it doesn't just mean, you know, formal, organized religion, but we can use that term, worldview or religion, to apply to things like secularism, atheism, even chasing identities. All of these things tell us that uh, we have to do something to make something of ourselves. But Jesus shows us another way. He shows us a better way. In, in Jesus' way, we're not the focus, but instead we focus on something so much greater than us, so much bigger than us, something beyond our own lives. Now, religion would say, if you look inside of yourself and just dig deep enough, you'll find everything you need for a good life. Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. He says, look to me. I will show you the path to life. I'll show you the path to, to serving others and making much of everything, and, and, and I'll give you the strength to live a selfless life. And this is the call of the Gospel of John, which we've been walking through now for uh, just about a year, to follow Jesus. And following Jesus means we don't strive for the respect and the riches that this world has to offer, but as we're going to see in this passage, instead we pick up a wet, dirt-stained towel and we use it to clean someone else's dirty feet. The way to follow Jesus is to serve others humbly. If you've got a Bible handy, and I hope that you do, uh, you can op open up to John chapter 13. If you need a Bible, there are some on the tables at the back. You're welcome to help yourself. And if you don't have a Bible, by all means, take one of those. It's our gift to you. We're just, just over halfway through John's gospel now. We're making pretty good time, I think. And this morning, we come to probably the most significant transition point in John's gospel. See, the rest of the book, from 13 right to the end, takes place in pretty much just the last week of Jesus' life. From here on out, Jesus focuses uh, on his, his closest friends, on his nearest disciples. 
That's who he's spending all of his time with. These are the last actions and the last words of Jesus. So if there's any last point he needs to make, if there's any last skill he needs to teach his followers, if there are any key takeaways from the life of Jesus, we're going to find these in these last few chapters. And that's what makes the opening verse of chapter 13 so important. Let me read it for us. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now there are a couple significant things in the beginning of that verse that's important that, that John sort of sets the timeline for us. It's, it's really important that this is happening in the week of Passover, and we'll get to that in coming weeks. It's also important that John tells us the hour had come. How many times in those first 12 chapters have we read Jesus disappeared into the crowd because his hour had not yet come? His time had not yet come. The hour was not yet here. And now in verse, or chapter 13, Jesus knew that his hour had come. This is important for us. Because, because we read that, we need to take careful notice of what comes in the next pages. But the last phrase is the one I want to sort of camp on here for a few minutes. Look at those last, probably the last line or so. John records for us that Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knows what's about to come. John tells us that. He knows his hour is coming. He knows that his arrest and, and crucifixion are imminent. He knows that this is the final and darkest chapter in his earthly ministry. And when John, the, the writer here, uh, pauses for a moment, remembers this scene and looks back at everything that happened coming up to here and everything that was to come in the next days and weeks as he, he thinks about the, the life Jesus lived and, and what impact that had, he stops and he writes, Jesus loved his own who were in the world. And he kept loving them until the end. Even though Jesus knew the cross was right in front of him, even though he knew what he was about to go through, not just the, the physical beatings and the crucifixion and the death, not just the emotional toll of being betrayed by someone in his inner circle, not just the, 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 the weight and the heaviness of being abandoned by all of those closest to you, but take all of those things, each of which is enough to break someone, break me, I'm sure, but pile on top of that that he knew he would be taking on the sin of the world, and on top of that, for the very first time in all eternity, find himself separated from God the Father. We read, he cries, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all of this that's going on, we're told in Luke twenty-two forty-four that as, as Jesus looked at what was to come, as he was experiencing everything that happened, he, he sweat drops of blood. And as John, again, looks at this event and starts to think, how do we transition, how do I transition my readers to, to understand what was going on here? The thing that he writes down that he wants his, the, the disciples to know and for future generations, including us, to know, Jesus loved them to the end. Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, so eloquently writes, John's statement that Jesus loved his own to the end launches 
the passion narrative. And the arraignment and crucifixion of Christ is the historical demonstration of, of what is put in a nutshell in John 13, verse 1. At this point, John's point in 13.1 is that in going to the cross, Jesus did not retain something for himself, as we tend to do when we seek to love others sacrificially. But Jesus does not love like us. We love until we're betrayed. But Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we're forsaken. But Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love to a limit. But Jesus loves to the end. Now, let me tell you, somebody who loves me like that, through betrayal, through forsakenness, through all the mess that I make, that person is worth giving everything to. That person, that Jesus, is worth committing to. That person is worth following every single day of our lives. So, with that kind of love in the background for us. How do we follow Jesus? Let me pick up John chapter 13 again, just a couple of verses later in verse 3. Again, Jesus, we read, knowing that, fa- that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments. Taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This picture of of Jesus loving them to the end, this scene of him washing their feet, Jesus' love for the disciples becomes one of the driving themes for the rest of John's gospel. Now, just a few weeks ago, we we dug into the significance of this act, of Jesus putting on the towel and, and taking on the role of the lowest of the lowest household servant. The disciples at at the meal here, they seemed not to be willing to wash one another's feet. If no one had done it yet, that means no one was willing to do it. I think we can assume that. And it seems like maybe they hadn't even offered to wash Jesus' feet. They, They wouldn't lower themselves to that level, if you will. But here, Jesus takes on this role this lowest role. And in in doing so, he teaches us a handful of things. The first is this. Nobody is above serving. Nobody has done enough, accomplished enough, is good enough to not be serving. When Jesus got up from the table and, and, and got the bowl and the towel, he wasn't denying anything about himself. He wasn't setting aside his, his role as master or teacher or Lord, any of those things. But because of who he was, it makes this act of service even more significant, even more profound. In this moment, Jesus is is leading us by example to serve others. And, And if that's his example for us, then that's our following. That's what we are to do. A little bit later in verse 16, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, a servant or a follower is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. He's saying, listen, if I just did this for you, you should be expecting to do this as well. This this is the way forward, my friends. A way of humbly serving one another. And, And nothing kills selfless service like pride. But no one is above serving. 
In these verses, we learn another lesson too, that, that no one is below being served. Okay? You can't accomplish so much that, okay, I, I've done enough work, I don't need to serve anymore. But the flip side is true too. I'm so bad, nobody should serve me. That's not truth. No one is, is below being served. There's nothing you can do. We're reminded in verse 2 that all the, disciple, all the disciples were at this dinner, including Judas, the one who would soon betray Jesus. How many pairs of feet did Jesus wash? Twelve. All of them. Just a few verses later, Jesus says he knows that someone in the room is about to betray him, and yet he washed every foot in that room, even Judas's. Put yourself in that room. If, if that were you, we don't want to try and make ourselves Jesus because that's a, that's a problem. But if that was you and you knew someone was about to betray you like that, would you still wash their feet? Honestly, I don't think I am mature enough to do that. Yet Jesus slowly and carefully Wash the feet of the traitor. Just like he washed the feet of Peter and James and John. No one, no one is below being served. But there's also a piece here where, where uh, John narrows the focus of this humility and this service to specifically the family of God. Now, of course, we don't turn a blind eye to the needs that are outside of the church, to those who don't yet know Jesus, but we are called to, to love one another in the church. There are dozens of one another statements in the New Testament. And there's this piece of that's what it means to follow Jesus, is to love and serve one another as well, because we have this unique bond with one another. We're servants of the same master. We call Jesus Lord. Our shared allegiance to Jesus binds us together. I love how Matt Carter writes, a trait of humble service which simply can't be counterfeited is the willingness to be inconvenienced for someone else's benefit. He gives a couple examples. One, he says, imagine a Christian woman who is the evangelical version of Martha Stewart. Everyone, is Martha Stewart, I don't know who Martha Stewart still is, right? Okay. This, this woman loves to throw big parties, loves to have people in her home as long as she can plan and prepare for weeks in advance to make sure everything is just so. So for her, being inconvenienced for someone else might mean noticing that a sister is struggling one Sunday morning, walking over to her and inviting her and her family over for dinner, even though she has nothing prepared. Or another example he gives, it says, picture a man, spontaneous, outgoing, the life of the party, who sees a brother dealing with a problem that will take months of work and months of tedious, difficult effort to work through. Being inconvenienced for him might mean spending weeks and weeks of tiresome labor necessary to help this person through that thing. This is part of what it means to be family, to be willing to be inconvenienced for one another. Now, how do we do this? And here's the good news, I think. Jesus actually gives us the ability to serve humbly. Now, we can, we can scour the history books and we can find all sorts of great examples of selflessness. But what sets Jesus apart is not only that he's God, which 
obviously sets him apart, and, and therefore he's the only one that we should legitimately worship. But that is through his selfless service that we are also given the ability to serve others as well. And we see that in this example. And in this moment where, where Jesus serves and takes this lowly job and washes the feet, he's also actually pointing his disciples forward to another greater act of service that will happen in just a few hours. That not long after this, Jesus would humble himself and serve that same room, all those disciples, plus then every one of us who follows him after through his death on the cross. Look at the conversation between Jesus and Peter in verse 6. Jesus says, you guys may not understand what's going on right here in this moment, but you will afterwards. You will get it. After the resurrection, as the disciples started to put all the pieces together and, and no doubt looked back at this moment and, and thought about Lord, Master, Jesus washing their feet, they would realize that, that he was showing them that he needed to humble himself in order to serve them. Jesus had to become the servant in order for them to have life. And the point of all of this is the necessity of Jesus' sacrifice for us. His ultimate act of service is the one where he gave his life for us, and that's the act that holds up every act of Christian service and discipleship that has come since then. It's all about following his example. If Jesus hadn't taken the form of a servant and humbled himself, even to the point of death on a cross, then we wouldn't have the ability to follow him in that way. If he hadn't done that, then these words and his example of following the disciples' feet, they, they wouldn't have met anything, meant anything to us. Yet, because of his example, because of everything Jesus went through, his humiliation, his, his death on the cross, and his resurrection, we have been made capable of walking in those same steps. As one writer says, Jesus doesn't just provide the pattern or the example for service, he also provides the power to serve. And Jesus makes that point for us again in verse 15. He says, I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. And when he says just as there, it's about more than just saying, okay, well, Jesus did this, so I guess we have to. I guess it means we should all just go, there's bowls in the back and towels in the back and let's do this. But of course, he's, he is the example, but he's also the one that gives us strength to follow his example. His self-sacrificial love is the driving force for us to love one another. So we can't do this on our own. We can't do it under our own strength. We need help to do it. We need Jesus' help. And so our humble service actually flows right out of the gospel. Just like in, in other ways we've talked about, we aren't enough by ourselves. The power to serve one another doesn't come from inside of us. We can't for long enough, we can't tap into enough inner strength to discover some secret power reserves to humbly serve for our, our whole lives. But when we ask Jesus for help and we re rely on the Holy Spirit to empower us and help us love others, then we can do it. Uh, this kind of humble service flows out of the gospel, out of the work of Jesus. But it's also rooted in the gospel. Jesus' command to, to wash feet and to serve one another isn't just something we can do on our own again. It's not something we can do without actually a, a fundamental transformation of our own lives, of our own natures. We, we can't change our own hearts to want to do this. We can't do it on our own. 
Matt Carter again says, we are actually selfish, independent, arrogant sinners with cold, hard hearts. What Jesus demands from us is to live as selfless, trusting, humble servants. And the only way that's possible is if who I am fundamentally changes. Unless someone performs heart surgery on me, I can't live a life of humble service. This is the good news of the gospel, of what Jesus is leading us towards. He humbly sacrificed his life on the cross in our place, absorbing the wrath of God and giving us the gift of faith so that we can turn to him in repentance and faith and obedience. Jesus wants to, and even even more than just wants to, he can change our nature. He can give us a new heart. And then that thing that seems so impossible now seems wonderful. He gives us light and life. He's the one that, that made, the pay, made the way, showed us the path, and now leads us along that path to true joy and happiness and blessing, the life we were created for. And we can't get those things, joy and happiness, by just collecting things, building ourselves up, but instead we get them through compassion and service. One last uh, Matt Carter conclusion on this passage here is this. Jesus is telling his disciples, in essence, my humble service to you on the cross is pictured by this act of foot washing, and it will enable you and empower you to live as you are intended to. It will change your desires and your goals, your dreams and your wishes. It will change your fundamental makeup. You'll learn that as you follow me, joy and happiness will find you not in standing on the throne, issuing edicts or receiving tribute, but blessing will find you kneeling on the floor, towel in hand. He says, Jesus doesn't call us to a life of leisure, but a life of labor. He doesn't call us to follow him down paths sprinkled with gumdrops and lined with lollipops, but down dirt-covered, sweat-stained paths. Paths that stink. Paths that aren't simple or clean or neat. The cost of following Jesus, the cost of discipleship is high, but it's worth it. God's blessing comes to the genuine disciple, the one who who follows Jesus into a life of humble service. All the marks of discipleship Jesus could have highlighted in these last moments, he highlighted the willingness to, to pick up a towel and get our hands dirty. Few things we do make the gospel more Uh, beautiful and more compelling than when someone sees Christians with dirty towels and clean feet. Dirty towels and clean feet make the gospel clear. Everyday people doing everyday things to serve others. And that's what service looks like. That's what following Jesus looks like. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you again for this example that you've given us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this chapter that, that shifts focus on your public ministry and your calling people to the kingdom, and then it, it narrows down to, to those who follow you. And say, okay, here's, here's the last things I need to say to you, the last examples I need to give you. Maybe if we've grown up in and around the church, we've heard the story, we've read the story, and it just sort of glosses over us, and we don't think about it anymore. Maybe we, we read a, a thing like this and it's, okay, yeah, Jesus washed the feet. And he, and, but you call us to that. I pray that you would 
challenge us and, and, and convict us and, and point us to ways where, where we too can, can grow in uh, our lives of humble service. Point out areas in my heart where I think that I am above serving. And equally, point out areas in my heart, things that you've paid for by your death on the cross where I think I'm, I'm not good enough to be served. Jesus, thank you that you came and, and you did walk this earth just like every one of us is now and you showed us how to rightly relate to, to God the Father and to creation around us and to the people around us. I pray that you would continue to transform our hearts so that we would think less of us and more of you. I pray that you would give us your eyes to see the world around us, that we would see our neighbors, our towns, our, our cities, our countries, as you see them. And as we sang earlier, that you would continue to build your kingdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.